going is headed downhill. We read that there will be a time of great tribulation just ahead, such as has never been, nor ever shall be. We read in history about the Crusades. We read about various wars, world wars, the horrors of those. And yet what is about to come is going to be worse than anything has ever, ever been. There are probably six and a half billion people on the face of the earth today. And if the is a key on this, it indicates that there will only be about 100 million left when this is finished. 100 million sounds like a lot of people, but compared to six and a half billion, it's not much. The United States contains well over 300 million, so that means of the whole population of the earth, there might only be less than a third of what we see in the United States today left alive when it all comes to an end. And I think that this will all occur probably, I would say, easily within the next 10 years. I don't like to set dates or prognosticate or try to set timelines, but the way things are looking and the way the Bible reads, it appears that it will be accomplished that quickly or certainly not much longer than that. That's a worldview, and then we look at ourselves in a much smaller view, perhaps. Uh, I, I don't mean that we should look at ourselves in a small way, because I think we must maintain a world and a universe view, even among ourselves and about ourselves, because if we are obedient to God and doing as he says, we're going to be at the front and foremost in what is about to happen, and God says we will be protected from it. That he will take care of us if we will do his will, his wishes, fulfill his purposes. And that's why I felt that I needed to be pretty strong, pretty adamant, uh, maybe even a little mean, I don't know, in getting us to grasp where we are and that the things of this world are really not that important. Not that we don't need a little downtime now and then to relax, to be entertained, perhaps. But it is so easy in this world to feel that we deserve a break today for whatever reason and whatever type we want. And yet... When we have downtime, maybe we should listen to some really, truly inspiring music and maybe contemplate some of the things of God and what he is doing as opposed to just simply being entertained. You say, well, I need to relax so I can go to sleep. i got news for you. I can go to sleep a lot faster if that was my goal, if that's my purpose. Uh, I sit down and say, well, I'll, I'll read the Bible. The Word of God can be exciting, it can be invigorating, it can be powerful, and yet at the same time it can be very relaxing and add hope to our lives. And when we relax 
If we're tired, we go to sleep. So perhaps sometimes we use wrong methods to unwind. Maybe we need to unwind in more spiritual and godly ways than sometimes we think we need. Maybe we've gotten away from some of those things. I sometimes marvel at the things David wrote and the Psalms. And many of those things I think he wrote when he was young and out tending the sheep. Maybe no one else for miles and miles and miles around, just he and the sheep. And he was studying the trees, the grass, the flowers, the stars, and understanding the God of creation. And wrote some very poetic, metaphorical, beautiful prose about God and about the things of God. And I think, I could never do that. I don't have that capacity, that ability, that kind of mind. Maybe that's a cop-out and an excuse. Because what David did is a very beautiful thing. And maybe I have gotten so involved in the things around me and the things in the world and the entertainment that we've had because this generation of people, most of us, grew up when entertainment was becoming, it was coming into vogue in the world. And so we were taught just to be entertained. Whereas someone like him was taught and learned by nature around him the things of God. And as a result was able to do those things. Now maybe, let's not sell ourselves short, in other words. I don't mean to be discouraging in this. Let's not sell ourselves short. Were we in that same kind of environment and assessing and viewing those same things and understanding God, maybe we would be capable of doing some of those things. Maybe, in other words, we're more capable than we think we are because we can be mentally lazy and spiritually lazy, and as a result, we don't produce the things that we could be producing, perhaps, because it's too big for us, too high for us. We need to look above, above and beyond, what we are, what we've been, what we've done. To think bigger. To see more of God and what God is doing. To be more inspired, to be more empowered by God and His Spirit and the things of God. Now we have all this coming down on us and it seems there isn't much time to get ready to be prepared and so on. How much does it take? What will it require? What must we do? How do we face these things? I said in a larger sense we see the huge problems in the world and where the world is headed, but in a smaller sense, and I mean it smaller in this way, we see our own problems, our own difficulties, our own trials, afflictions, difficulties, and, and on and on they go. And it seems especially in the period before Passover, uh, things get worse, accidents happen more, uh, 
Problems occur more often. Attitudes seem to suffer. Uh, sicknesses seem to come more. It just seems that the pressure of Passover coming, Satan hating Passover and hating Christ our Savior and hating us for following our Savior, seems to become more active and create more problems in the world and with us than he is able to do through the rest of the year. Now, this has been something that we've noted for decades in the Church of God as things get this way. Now, today I want to go through some scriptures and maybe they'll give us some hope and understanding of where we are. And I don't think there's anything particularly new here. It's just that we need to be reminded and understand and grasp where we are and what's happening. And if we're able to do that, maybe we can better be uh, equipped to handle it and to come through it with flying colors and be where we need to be. I want to turn to Acts 14 first today. And I do intend to go through quite a few scriptures, so uh, have your finger ready there. I'll try not to get bogged down and make a series of four out of this. I'll try to get it done today. <laughs> Uh, Acts 14, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. We have to take time to confirm our souls, confirm what we're doing. Uh, I think we all need to do that. We here have studied the Bible in a way that many have not. And we've come to see some things, I think, that others have not seen. And we have to go back and confirm what we have come to understand, confirm why we're here, what we have to do. And as we confirm that, it helps remove doubt and fear and worry and frustration because it is confirmed, it is fresh, it is secure in our minds. Confirm our souls and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Now, exhortation means get after them. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Now, there is a defining statement that to enter the kingdom of God, we must go through much tribulation. That's a verse that was used as a memory verse for many years in the church. should come quickly to our minds. It is not an easy road, and Christ did tell us that narrow is the way, and straight is the gate that leads to life, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. So the easy way is to float along and float on down the river and be destroyed. But if you enter into the kingdom of God, you will go through much tribulation. Now if a glass is sitting on the cabinet and everything is still and quiet, it's not agitated, it's peaceful, but if you pick it up and put your hand over it and begin to shake it vigorously, it becomes agitated. 
All kinds of things happen. Bubbles form and tries to spill on the floor. And you create a certain amount of trouble just by shaking a glass of water. Now, if you're going to go the hard, difficult way, there will be tribulation or agitation involved. There is no getting away from that. It's just a plain, straightforward statement here. I guess you have to answer, do I want to live forever? Do I want to die and be forgotten? Now, maybe there's some caveats to that. Would I want to live forever in this world as it is today? No, I would not. It is a world of tumult. It is a world of war. It is a world of all kinds of unimaginable hurts of mankind to mankind, whether it be social hurts and feelings or whether it be severance of heads and arms and legs in war or whatever. It is not a pretty world. When you get away from the activities of man and look at the things of God, it's peaceful. I love to get out on a mountain meadow and the trees and flowers and grass and just enjoy what God has made and the peace that is there. But it seems in our world today we don't have much time to do those things. So it's hard to enjoy the world that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, isn't it? That, that, if you just consider today, I don't want to live forever. But give us peace, happiness, contentment, no pain, no fears, no frustrations, no troubles. And I'd like to live under those conditions from now on and enjoy a world that only God can make. So let's be sure we have our goal and our purpose clearly in mind that we can overcome this world and have a better time. And then there will not be trouble and tribulation. But in the meantime, we're going to have it. Let's go to Romans 5. Verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Now that, if you just stopped right there, uh, why would you glory in tribulation? I don't like trouble. I don't like confrontation. I don't like arguing and fighting. I don't like war and killing. I don't like agitation and tribulation. We like peace and serenity. Uh, don't we, wouldn't we rather sit on the porch in a rocking chair and enjoy the fireflies at night uh, than to be fighting and arguing? So why should we glory in tribulations? Well, reading on, knowing that tribulation works patience. We as human beings tend to be impatient. I find myself becoming impatient about things in the world right now. I want to get on the other side of all this trouble, this economic crash, the sickness that we have as a result of the junk we ingest into our bodies. People dying from all kinds of illnesses and diseases. I'd like to be beyond that and the other side of that. 
the old, even the growing old part that we begin to suffer. Some of you do not even begin to understand that yet. I didn't used to, but I'm beginning to. When the knees and the elbows and the shoulders don't work the way they used to. When things are not as easy as they used to be. And the eyes begin to dim and the ears begin to fade and the taste buds begin to go away and it hurts to be in bed and it hurts to get out of bed on the edge of some of those things, finally. I wondered why old people got up so early. It's because they can't stand to lay in bed any longer. It hurts too much, so they get up. So tribulation, trouble, the process that we go through as human beings is there to help us learn patience. To be able to be quietly able to wait instead of having to have everything right now. And maybe that is one of the reasons God allows this thing to stretch on rather than ending it sooner than he has, is that it might develop patience within us. And then it goes on about other things that are developed. Patience uh, brings character and character hope. Hope makes not ashamed because God and his love is shed abroad in our hearts as a result of the trials and troubles that we have. So it's part of the process, and there's no getting around it. Human beings simply aren't what they ought to be, and they have to learn to be what they should be. And as we learn what we ought to be, then we try to become that, and that is very difficult. And I don't know how to sugarcoat it for us. It's difficult to be what we ought to be. It's difficult to change. Now, people can change for evil very, very quickly. Almost in a moment, we can be pulled down into evil. Just bam. But to be pulled from evil to good is a very arduous process. And it is slow. I'll bet if we were to have people line up here and give testimony, some of you would tell us that you've been working on the same problem for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and yet you still have difficulty with it. Same character flaws you might have had when you were a child or a young adult. You may be 60, 70, 80, 90 years old today, and you still have to fight the same tendencies. There isn't anything easy about it. God put us here, and he said things will be difficult, but that's what it takes to make you what you need to be. You have to fight, mainly yourself. Let's go to Second Thessalonians 1. No, Romans 8 while we're here. Romans 8 is down about 35, I want. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What would it take to separate you from God, from Christ, from his church, his people? What would it take? With some who were in the church a couple of decades ago, 
All it took was someone to stand up and say, you don't have to keep the commandments. The providence were right all along. That's all it took. Some of you are a little more stubborn and are still around. Some separate very easily. Shall tribulation? Will I do it? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? The sword? I think when some people who profess to be true Christians are told, we'll lop your head off unless you bow down before the beast, in some cases they'll bow down. What will it take? Now I think that Paul is intimating here that we're going to face all these things. What will it take to separate us from the love of Christ? Will any of these things do it? Because he knew that he was and they would be facing those things. He says, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Satan the devil hates anyone who will give credence, worship, glory, and honor to God. So you automatically become an enemy of Satan and become as a sheep to the slaughter before him if God allows him to slaughter you. And the only reason he has not slaughtered everyone in this room today is because God has simply not allowed it. Satan would kill you and me in a heartbeat if he had the chance. Do you realize that? He's a living, active, malevolent being who hates us with a passion. And if you wonder if God loves you, stop wondering right now. Because as much as Satan hates you and as much power as he has, you would be dead. I would not be speaking to you because you'd be dead and so would I. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, which are just ahead of us, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Emmanuel, our Lord. There is nothing, in other words, and he's pretty descriptive here, that can separate us from the love that he feels toward us. And we need to return that kind of emotion, that feeling, that love, to him that he puts out and feels for us. He is protecting us from Satan the devil. He said if we will obey him, he will protect us from those in this world who would destroy us. And he loves us that much. Now he did say, I would, I've turned my face from my church, my people, for a short while because they had become so lax and so 
sinful and worldly, that it bothered him to the point he just couldn't handle it. Haven't we experienced some of those things? Is, hasn't there been a time in your life when you just didn't want to face somebody? You just didn't want to go there. You didn't want to have to deal with them. You didn't want to have to talk to them. In some cases, you didn't want to put up with them. I just don't want to go. I can't face it. I can't handle it. Because of the way they are, the way they were, their attitude, their approach, whatever it might have been, you just couldn't handle it. We've all been there. And it's the same emotion and feeling that Christ has had with us. I just can't go there right now. I love them to pieces. And I'm not always talking about enemies either in the analogy I was making. Sometimes you might love somebody with all your heart, and yet you don't want to face them at the moment because of the attitude they're in, your level of frustration. And, and Christ loves us, as we just saw here, that nothing can separate us from that love. And yet, because of our attitude and approach, he says, I can't handle that right now. Change. Change your approach. Get over it. Turn to me. Not away from me. And I'll be happy to shine my face upon you. That's his emotion. That's his reaction. It's not that he doesn't love us. There are times we don't even want to face our own children because we just don't know quite how we're going to handle the situation at the moment and the attitude that they're in, or the attitude that we're in. With Christ, though, it's always us, not him. He has perfect control of his emotions and his feelings, and he knows when to turn it on, when to turn it off, how to, how to do it. Second Thessalonians 1. Let's see, here I want 2 Thessalonians 1, um, well, verse 4. So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Paul writing to the Thessalonian church, and he knew and understood that they were going through all kinds of persecutions and tribulations, pressure being put upon them from friends, relatives, enemies, people they were trying to work with and through, perhaps. And he gloried in their patience and faith. So when we have troubles, trials, tribulations, put down by others, whatever might come, Patience and faith is the way to handle it. Just understand that God has a purpose. He is working it out. And no matter how bad it might be or what persecution we might suffer, if we have patience and wait for him and trust and faith that he will see us through, it'll get done. Now, we're all facing a certain amount of these things, aren't we? And I suspect that it'll get worse. 
based on a lot of scriptures that I've read and you've read. So we need to be equipped ahead of time. Let's go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. I know when we're fasting it's hard to concentrate. Maybe if we keep turning pages quickly here we'll help us stay awake and alert. Matthew 13. Let's pick it up, uh, verse 17. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Now, I, I can relate to that because there are people that I've known, some of my relatives and friends, who don't understand or did not understand a lot of the things that you and I today understand. Even Herbert Armstrong, as much as he understood the plan and the way and the purpose of God, did not understand a lot of things that we do today. But God, in time, has led us to see things that we have to deal with that he never had to deal with. He didn't even need to know them because he was not going to have to face them. But we need to know them because we are facing them. So there has been a movement forward. Hear you therefore the parable of the sower. Now, he gave this in conjunction with what he just said. I didn't read verse 16. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And that was true of his disciples. But it's even more true in some respects today, because... Those disciples who became apostles never did understand the end time and exactly how it would be and what would occur. They thought it was going to be soon, and it wasn't, and now we're in it. Hear, therefore, the parable of the sower. And what he says here was true of them, and it's true of us. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and all of us have, have we not, and understands it not... We didn't at first, but when we were exposed to it, we began to understand it. Then comes the wicked one, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that hears the word, and anon with joy receives it, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Some hear it. They don't understand it. I, I guess I, I, I misstated that a little bit. We heard it, but we began to understand it. He's saying here, someone hears it, doesn't understand it, and they're easily taken away from that which they didn't understand, never got it in the first place. And there are those that have stony places, difficult places. Isn't that what a stony place is? When you're following a path, maybe up a mountain, and it's dirt, there's a trail, it's fairly easy. But then when you get to a stony place, it's difficult. Sometimes you have to climb over the rock. Sometimes you can turn your ankle on a rock. So he's saying here, when he mentions stony places... He who receives the word 
in a difficult time and way. Now, most of us were brought into God's truth when things were not as difficult as they are becoming today. And yet I think the principle still applies, that we suddenly find ourselves in stonier places than we were in when we found the truth. It's getting stonier as we go. He hears it, receives it with joy, but when tribulation or persecution arise, and that's stony places, because of the word, by and by he is offended. So he's warning us here. If it gets rocky, the road gets tough, don't let tribulation or persecution, because of keeping God's word, throw you or lead you astray or cause you to give up. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. I think that's really what I was driving at last week to a great degree is that we receive the word but we're among thorns or weeds and if we've gardened, we've seen weeds choke out plants that we have planted, have we not? If we didn't keep it weeded. The weeds will come in and they'll take over and destroy that which we planted, which we hoped was good. But he says the care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So all the things that are in this world, if we're not very careful, can choke us down to where we don't focus on God and his word and his way and cause us to give up or be lost or, or just killed, spiritually killed, by the things that choke us out. And that's what I was referring to. We can spend too much time with this, too much time with that, too much time with something else, and the Word of God, the Spirit of God flowing through us simply gets choked out. I don't think I'm going to have a drink of water. When my throat gets a little strained up here, I'll take a sip now and then. I just nearly reached down there. Not going to happen. Maybe fasting will do me more good than drinking water. That's why I'm not drinking water. Is that we might seek God and seek His face and understand better. He that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. That's where we want to be. We don't let our orchard be choked out by weeds, by bugs, by various things that can come and destroy an orchard. It has to be watered. We're watered by the word of God. He that hears the word. We really need the word of God going through our heads frequently. If we have the stuff from this world going through our heads frequently, that is what is going to affect our thinking. I didn't mean to get on us for watching television in a wrong way. Television can be, if used in a proper way, and only watch those things which do not 
invoke sin is not a bad instrument necessarily, perhaps, but it's a time waster. And you can watch that or listen to music or whatever that takes your mind and removes it from God, and it chokes out the Word of God. That's the problem. Some things you watch you shouldn't watch. Other things might not be wrong except that they take time from God and time for your allowing God's Word to cleanse and wash your mind. Why is it that our favorite TV programs we look forward to and we find it easy to sit through them because we're enjoying it and we're being entertained. And that's easy. Why is it that it's so hard to pick up our favorite book, the Bible, and stay with it, enjoy it, appreciate it, now, i found sometimes that once I get into it, I enjoy it. But there's something about sitting down and making myself take the book and open it and get started that is difficult. Is it that my mind is carnal? Is it that I don't appreciate and enjoy the things of God as much as I ought to? Or maybe, to some degree, it takes energy and focus. And a TV program does not take energy and focus. Maybe we need to consider our minds and what causes them to react certain ways and get a handle on these things. Because really, we can see here, we need to have the Word of God flowing through our minds. I've known... At times when I studied the Bible a great deal, I mean, really, really gotten into it, as I've done off and on through these last 12, 13 years, I wake up thinking about God. I wake up thinking about Scripture. I wake up and it starts going through my mind at night. Now, if I go through a period of time where I don't study much and I don't have the Word of God being filtered through my mind continually, when I wake up in the morning, I might be thinking about something else. Because you tend to think about the things that you concentrate on. The things that you spend your time thinking about are the things that you have in there that will be there. I find that if I listen to the hymns out of our hymn book, for instance, a lot, or during the feast particularly, when we sing every day, those songs will be going through my mind. But if I don't hear those hymns sung frequently, those words of God that are in there don't go through my mind. Now, if you listen to a rock station or a country station, a lot, then you're going to have rock songs or country songs going through your mind and the words that are there. Now, is it ever wrong to listen to a love song that the world wrote? Probably not. 
But it's a matter of what do you put in your mind so that it's there. Now, love songs can be okay if they're decent music, and they might help us think of our mate, or prospective mate, and that might be okay. But if we listen to it a lot, then it begins to crowd out the things of God and the hymns of God and the words of God. See what I mean? I'm, I want us to understand that some things, some things are wrong, but some things are not necessarily wrong in and of themselves, intrinsically. But they become wrong when we spend so much time with them that they crowd out that which is better and good and right and that leads to eternal life. That's the difference. John 16. Here I want about verse 33, I think it is. Verse 32. Behold, the hour comes, yes, is now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Speaking of his own death. But here at the end time, we also have been scattered and are going to be scattered more as a church, except for those whom God pulls together and eases the scattering on. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Now, he was facing the greatest crisis in his life, and really the greatest crisis any human being has ever known. I'm not alone. The Father is with me. Sometimes we might feel alone, dejected, discouraged, frustrated. We need to think, perhaps, of this scripture. If we've read it fairly often, it'll come to mind. If we don't read it, it won't be there when we need it. See what I mean? Uh, does your favorite TV program help you in a time of need or discouragement or spiritual trouble? No, it does not. You might be able to name everybody on the program. You might be able to name or hum the music or, you know, whatever. But it doesn't help you. The Word of God, if you read it, study it, think about it, will be there to help you when trouble comes. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. We want peace? It's in him. It's not in the things of this world that we might enjoy from time to time. In the world you shall have tribulation. That's not Paul. That's the words of Christ himself. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I'm here to lead you, he's implying, so that you can overcome the world too. But, you know, you have to follow the leader or you're in trouble. And if you follow the leader, you have to know where he's going. You have to pay attention to him. You have to listen to him a lot. And then you'll know where to go. See, we used to study the Bible by the clock because there were certain ministers in the church who said, well, you, had, you need to study your Bible 30 minutes a day. It set a time limit on it, or sometimes they even pushed it to an hour. But 30 minutes was kind of what was preached. Now, you can sit down and read your Bible for 30 minutes, and it might not do you a whole lot of good. It might do you a lot of good than other things, but if you're just reading it by the clock for the sake of putting in 30 minutes, 
it will give you a limited benefit. If you are reading it because you're facing difficulties, trials and troubles and temptations in life, and you're trying to find these nuggets of truth that will help you through it and lead to eternal life and peace and happiness forever, then you can get engrossed in it. It does you some good. And the clock means nothing. It's how do I understand? How do I face? How do I grasp the troubles that I have? We have troubles right here in this little group right now, as I focused on last week. We have a lot of sick and afflicted people. We're as a group mostly getting older. And more and more afflictions will come. And because of the junk in this world, even the young people have problems in many cases. We have persecution from people in some cases we're trying to work with that aren't in the church that we think might have some benefit to God's purpose and plan. And it's difficult to handle. Where do you learn to handle it? These scriptures we're reading and more. Many that I will not get to today, obviously. Romans 12. Verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. If you're praying a lot, let's say over a three-week or a month period, you're praying a lot, you've established a closeness to God and a communication with God that picks up easily. But if you've been drifting and you haven't been praying much or it's been nighty-night prayers or give God a lick and a promise before you go out the door in the morning, then it's hard to be instant in prayer. It's hard to establish the communication. If you do it regularly, the communication comes easier. You know what I'm talking about? There have been times when I've prayed, and I didn't... I mean, I was saying the right words, but it wasn't going anywhere. Maybe God was hearing it, maybe He wasn't, but I wasn't feeling the closeness, the communication. And there are other times that I would be that way and I'd keep at it and keep at it and then it would come and I would feel like God's really hearing me now. I've established a connection with Him. And you can feel that. Well, if you do it regularly, it comes easier than if you do it sporadically. We understand it in the human realm, don't we? You're, you're talking to somebody and they're sitting there looking at you like you had three heads. You're saying the words, but there's no communication. Must have been like it was when my parents were trying to talk to me when I was a teenager. Anybody home? Anybody in there? Daryl, do you hear me? frustrating, isn't it, when you're trying to talk to someone and you're, you're trying to get a point across and you realize they're not paying any attention to what you're saying. They're thinking about what you're, they're going to say next or they've got a place that itches on their back or something, but they're not listening to you. So sometimes you just kind of tail off and quit talking because they're not listening anyway. Probably didn't even notice you quit talking. 
well, maybe like a gnat, flew away, but it's not really in the consciousness. We have to establish that, <clears throat> to be instant in prayer and to realize that we're going to face tribulation and be able to go to God immediately when trouble comes. 2 Corinthians 1.4 Verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord, Emmanuel the Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He's the God who can bring comfort, can give us comfort. He's the only answer. Some people can comfort us sometimes to one degree or another. But the deepest, most real, abiding comfort can only come from God. Who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. There's a lot said in that. We go to God and through faith and patience and His Spirit receive comfort from through Him so that we can walk forward in faith and help and lead and guide instruct, comfort others. That's the purpose. Have you ever felt helpless when someone was telling you of their trials or their troubles or their sickness? Facing death, perhaps? And you just don't have the words. You don't know what to say. Maybe someone has lost a loved one, a mate, a husband, a wife. And you're there to try to help them, to comfort them, to ease their pain, and you just don't have the words. You don't know what to say. Anything you say seems inane or frivolous or, or inadequate. That's a frustrating feeling to have. And yet, if we would go to God the way we need to go to God and receive the comfort from Him in our own troubles, trials, afflictions, and sicknesses, and so on, then we're better equipped to help others when they also are suffering and sick and in pain. Because we faced it, we've gone to God and resolved it, and then we know how to tell them to go to God and to resolve it. I don't want to see people come to the point of death and have deep conflict and worry and frustration. I want them to find comfort in God and His Spirit and therefore be able to face the things that we all have to face with faith, belief, hope, understanding, and a feeling of forgiveness and peace inside. Those are things that we need to be able to come to grips with. So that no matter how bad things get in life, persecution, tribulation, troubles, whatever type of stone we face, that we're able to face it with the Spirit, the hope, the love of God, and peace because we know that God loves us.
and that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. You need to be equipped if you're going to face trouble. If you're not equipped, trouble can take you over. Chapter 7 of this same book, verse 4. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Paul had come to the point, 2 Corinthians 7, 4, that he could face all kinds of tribulation and yet do it with comfort and rejoicing. Now, when you face trials and troubles, can you do it with joy? Count it all joy? Hard to do. Because when things are going bad, it just seems like they're going bad all over and it's hard to face. But this man faced more trouble than you and I have ever faced. He, he, he faced a lot of deaths. But facing death is not easy. And yet... Paul went through it over and over again. Three times he was stoned and left for dead. Now, he didn't actually die, but he went through the dying process all three times. The fear, the frustration, the hopelessness, the pain of rocks hitting him on his body and his head. And will I die? Am I going to die now? All those things that go through your head went through his head Three times just from being stoned by people who hated him. And then he was on ships and terrible storms and was shipwrecked more than once. I've been in boats that were in great danger of going down. And I'm not fabricating that. I'm not talking about two-foot waves. I'm talking about small boats and 30-foot waves. And sometimes you feel it. I may die here. Well, he just wasn't on a boat that was being tossed around. His actually wrecked and sank. He went through the dying process several times. I've always had a certain fear of rattlesnakes growing up around them and seeing what they can do. And I've always had a horror of being snake bit. But you might face death. Well, Paul had a venomous viper. Bite him in the hand. Everybody thought he's going to die. Maybe they started laying bets as to how quick. He faced death there. But his comfort, his strength, his faith in God saw him through. He understood that God wanted him to go to Rome to face Caesar and likely die there, which happened. So, understanding God's will and God's purpose, he had the faith to believe that the snake bite wouldn't hurt him because he needed to live a few more months or years, whatever it was, while he was in prison there before he died. It isn't time for me to die yet. Well, he faced death many, many times and went through the death process many times. So he had learned to rejoice in those in that he knew God could save him and bring him through for his own purposes. 
Now, if you don't go through some of those things, how are you going to learn that God can and will bring you through? That's how faith is learned. Tribulation builds faith. Because if you go to God and you seek Him and trust Him and you come through it, you have a stronger belief in God. I saw when I was a small boy, people healed of some horrible diseases. My family thinks I probably had polio, the kind that kills you back in the 50s. And I can remember to this day, I wasn't very old, but I can remember to this day and how sick I was. Sickest I've ever been in my life. Can remember that. I've been pretty sick a few times, but not that sick. Out of my mind, crazy, wild things that were going, you know, just, you're, 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 it's just not working. High fever, delirious. And I knew my parents called Pasadena, and I was healed. I saw my brother laying on the table, my dad rubbing him all over his body to keep the circulation going because he was as good as dead. And the cloth arrived and he was anointed, and almost immediately he revived. I've seen a lot of those things in my life. You know what? It helps me now. It's hard to have faith and trust in God and everything that we should. I'm not talking about just healing, but in everything. But it helps to have gone through some of those things in both my life and the life of my family, my children, my own children. My first son was being born. Couldn't happen. The one midwife gave up and the other one said, I'm with her process that had gone on for actually about nearly two days of hard labor. Nothing happening. I finally said, I think I should anoint her. I anointed her and heard a loud pop, and he was born within a minute or so. That was a tribulation. It was a fear. It was scary. I didn't know what to do. Midwives didn't know what to do. Maybe God gave that answer to help me today and what I have to face and what I have to go through. Now, I can't recount all those things in your lives. You have similar stories. If you grew up in the church or you were in the church for the last 20, 30, 40 years, you have some of those stories yourself. We could tell them all day long, couldn't we? I can only recite mine or people that I know and see what they've gone through. But they're there to comfort us, to give us strength, to give us hope and faith that there is a living God who can and will hear our prayers if we will turn our hearts over to him. We're reading how Paul felt. I want to be that way. I want to be where I can feel comfort and joy 
when I'm persecuted or have tribulation. It takes some growth. It takes some experience. It takes some trials and troubles to come to the point he was able to say this and to write it. Most of us probably couldn't write without a certain amount of hypocrisy or disbelief the thing that he wrote right there. We may not have gone through what he went through to bring him to that point. So let's understand that when we have trouble, it's for our good. It's for a reason. Um, let's go to Second Timothy three twelve. Yes, and all that will live godly in Emmanuel, or Christ Emmanuel shall suffer persecution. And we've talked a lot about tribulation. Now we're going to see a few scriptures on persecution. All that live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Inevitable, will happen, can be avoided, has to be. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but continue you in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. That from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures. I guess that's, in a way, what I was just saying. Those things I learned when I was young, those experiences, those things that I witnessed, come back now sometimes to help me when I think, boy, this is tough. <laughs> but he tells Timothy here to think back on these things that you've known and been taught as a child, which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith which is in Christ Emmanuel. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. Some of us have been being told lately by some who don't believe 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is not given by inspiration of God. The men have twisted it and turned it and misused it and left parts out and not added parts that ought to be there so that you can't trust the Bible. I don't believe that. I believe I can trust it. It doesn't matter where I go in this book. It fits together. We could be in reading in Deuteronomy today. There's one in Deuteronomy 4 I might even go to. I think we read it last week, maybe, part of it. Or I can go back to Revelation, or I can go to Matthew, or wherever, and I find that it's the same story wherever I go that has been put together so magnificently that it all fits and doesn't contradict. Now, I understand, in a way, where the thought is coming from when it says, well, you can't trust Scripture. I understand that there have been some translation problems. Even this King James Version has some trans or language problems, let's say, where it says, 
conversation, and it means conduct, for instance, in modern terminology. There are many places in here where the language is archaic and our language has changed enough that we might have difficulty understanding it. A word that was common in 1611 isn't even used that way today. Our language is changing right before our very eyes, is it not? Gay used to mean something quite different than it does today. You can read a scripture in the Bible that says, Be gay. Some people today would take that differently than it was written. They take it as being perverted instead of happy. So the word has changed. But we need to understand that about God's word. Yes, language has changed. In some cases, word translation problems. And in a few cases, it has even been tampered with, such as Second John. What is it? I can't say it right at the moment. Where it talks about the Trinity. That was added by Erasmus, a Catholic monk. So yes, the Word of God, untampered with, every scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable. Now we have to be intelligent and we have to understand translation and language problems. So a person who says you can't entirely trust the Bible in some ways is correct. Can we understand that? Because of language and translation, and perhaps a few, very few cases where they've tampered with it. But God has brought it to us essentially whole, and I believe that. And what errors there are will simply contradict the rest of the whole body of Scripture, and they're not too hard to pick out. But that's a little off the subject here. Let's go to Acts 8. Saul was consenting to his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Everybody but the apostles was scattered, and great persecution came on the church. Now, I'm not going to bring some great spiritual revelation out of this, except to point out that the early church had trouble, and that we're going to have trouble too. So let's understand it's in the plan, that because things might go wrong at times doesn't mean God isn't with us. Sometimes God allows those things, and in some cases he actually directs them. Read the Lamentations, read the Minor Prophets, read the Major Prophets. God says, I did this to you, the scattering of the church. Poor old Job, you think you've got trouble. He lost his children, he lost his livestock, he lost his health. He lost the love and tender affection of his wife. Curse God and die. That's, you know, that's not real loving. And God is the one who did it all. Now he used Satan as his emissary. 
But he even put him on to him. He sicked him on him. He said, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Well, I have noticed him. All you have to do is give him a little trouble. He'll forget you. Well, why don't you go give him some trouble then? Well, I think I will. Jumped right on that. I'll be happy to give Job some trouble. You've just been hedging him about. Now, isn't that what I just said about us? We'd be dead if God had not hedged us about and kept Satan from us. We would have had more trouble than we have if God had not held him back. God loves us. He just does. He says, but don't you take his life. Oh, well, boy, he gave him everything else you could give somebody. And it was to teach Job something. When Job learned it, God gave him all the blessings he'd ever had and more. It was a hard lesson. I mean, he, yeah, he did lose his children. Cattle and horses and camels, you know, you might have been attached to a few of them, but they're fairly easily replaced. But your children are kind of tough. That's part of the deep abiding lesson that he had to learn. So God was able to handle that. And he didn't sick Job or Satan on Job until he knew Job could handle it, that Job would handle it, and that Job would learn what God had in mind and everything would be okay. So God says he will not put more on you than you can handle. Now, sometimes it seems like more than we can handle. I have thought recently, wouldn't it be nice if this is the year that in the first month God truly blesses us and turns back to us, forgives our sins and heals us and helps us? <laughs> that would be a wonderful thing. But I've also thought, how could I handle it if it's not? with where the world is headed right now and the horror the people are about to experience, how could we handle it if we have to wait another year? You know, you can build up hope that this is the time. And maybe it is. I'm not saying it's not. But I don't know that it is. And it has to come into my mind, and I have to pray about it. How will I handle it, Father, if things get so much worse than I think we can handle. Now, isn't that a realistic, timely thought with what you see going on? I hope we don't have to face that. But you know what? If we do, it is not more than we can handle. I remember thinking some of those thoughts before Passover last year. Could this possibly be the year? Things weren't as bad in the world then as they are today, and I thought, I thought about it. How can we go through another year? You know what? We've done it. We're still here. Maybe this is the year now. But if it's not, it'll be a bitter pill but we'll swallow it and we'll move on and we'll make it.
because we know and believe that God is God and that before the flesh fails before him, before we give up and quit, he's going to make it happen. I imagine Job was pretty discouraged from time to time when he went through those trials. The very direct hand of Satan. But he handled it. God did not put on him more than he could take. I don't know what all we have to take. I know God did not separate Israel from Egypt's plagues right away. We're going through some of the plagues of this world right now, aren't we? Heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and many other maladies, sicknesses and illnesses and diseases. Is that all we have to go through, or do we have to go through more? I don't know. Before God makes a separation. But we can handle it. And we are fasting today to get closer to Him, to have more faith, more patience, more trust in Him, to repent, to change our attitudes and our lives and get as close to God as we possibly can so that we will be equipped to handle what Paul and Job and John the Baptist and Stephen and Isaiah and David and Gideon and many, many more had to face. Far worse than anything you and I have faced. Now I say that in a way because I think some of us over the time in the church have faced things that might be in the same category. We have one right now suffering with cancer. And what he is going through is not easy. It's not easy at all. I appreciate that he is able to maintain a sense of humor and not be so discouraged and depressed that he can't handle it, but he's being strong, and I appreciate it. I see the Spirit of God and the mind of God there. So it doesn't matter what age we were in, Job's age or Paul's. When we have to face what all men face, it is appointed to all men once to die. And we have to look it right in the eye. It's not easy. But there's no time to give up on God, understanding that even sore trials, persecutions, and martyrdom, and illness and death, or some of the things that temper us and try us and help us to have the character of gold and silver that we need to be ready to teach people in the world tomorrow. Because this life is not the end-all, be-all. This is, this is just a proving ground for something so much better beyond that there is no comparison. Well, what I'm saying is I don't mean to minimize the troubles we might be going through by comparing them to troubles others have faced. It's just that those things that others have faced are there for us to learn from, to profit from, to benefit from, 
So that when we face similar trials, troubles, and tribulations, we're better equipped to handle them. And God has been so kind and so loving that these experiences were written down for us so long ago and preserved that they're still here as living testimony that God loves us and cares about us and will take care of us. Well, I'm about halfway through this, so I'll quit right there.